this summer, we're in the top 12 Psalms, taking the 12 Sundays of summer, and we're, we're looking at each one of the Psalms and finding remarkably why a poll has said this Psalm has got to be in the top 10, top 12, top 15. Psalm 34, many of you will have in your Bibles or on your iPhones or iPads, you'll have another header that says in the bold, it's not in the original version, taste and see that the Lord is good. And that is the one occasion in all of the Old Testament where a culinary metaphor is used for an experience outside of physically eating. And David, as we see, uh, as Barry just read, this is a psalm of David. As David is singing this song that he has written, it's an invitation for us to experience what he is experiencing. And one of the ways that we experience what he is experiencing experiences is by singing the song in other words David is has gone into trials and faced troubles and afflictions that while they're not the same as our there's enough similarity that he can tell us in our afflictions in our trials in our shame or in our own brokenness He can invite us to join Him in song and experience the lift as we once again recite the faithfulness of God's presence and Him as the Deliverer with the promise to deliver us. I call it the ABC Psalm because you'll notice also in your Bibles that it's an acrostic so that each verse starts with the Hebrew letter of the alphabet, with the exception of Wah, which is our W. So I'm not going to go through all 22 verses this morning because this is a summer series. But this series that we're, I mean, this morning, I just want to look at the first three verses and I'll make some support connections with the other verses. But I want you to see this morning that A, verse 1, stands for adore. B stands for boast and C stands for community. Tremper Longman says that an acrostic psalm would have been for the whole community, particularly families, to train and to teach their very youngest to sing and learn the Hebrew alphabet, but to sing and recite what they know to be true about God and His relation with men. And so, very much like singing the ABC song at the end where it says, Now I've sung my ABCs, next time won't you sing with me? David is saying, here is the ABCs of our faith. And here is what holds us up in the face of trial and tribulation. Now won't you come and sing with me? A is for adore. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, who has 
probably the, the greatest um, commentary on the Psalms, so much so that it's called a treasury. It's like uh, Fort Knox with all the gold of the U.S. Uh, contained in its walls about the Psalms. He says that Psalm 1 is a standalone sermon on its own. And he says it has six points. And as Charles Spurgeon does, he asks six questions. He says, first of all, with verse 1 being a standalone sermon, who is speaking? I, David. What is he talking about? What is he going to do? He says, I, David, will bless. That means speak well of. Honor. Lift up. Get a good word in. Whom? The Lord. I'm going to speak about the Lord. When? At all times. That means when we're joyful and we experience clear answers to prayer. It's, it's wonderful to speak and to, to say, I will bless the Lord with, having, with Chris having not one but two matches. But also to say, I will bless the Lord when a match has not been found. Even in trial or boring, mundane times. Who or how? He says, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And then, why? Because He is a faithful follower of God who has put His trust in Him. The famous verse and one that I commend for you to commit to memory, is found over in verse 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. And he's saying to bless the Lord, to adore Him, to praise Him and to be conscious of His abiding presence with me and me with Him inseparable is to have praise continually in my mouth. And that's prompted in verse 8 by tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. I was in Barnes & Noble this week and found myself in the cookbook section. And my eye was attracted to a Bob's Burgers cookbook book. And I thought, that's interesting. Bob's Burgers is an animated uh, sitcom TV show very similar to The Simpsons. And one of the fans, Colin Brown, had noticed that in each episode on Bob's Burger restaurant, on the counter was a chalkboard. The burger of the day or the burger of the week. that, That every week when he tuned in, it would be a different burger. Some of the burgers were free to brie you and me. Or it's fun to eat at the Rye MCA burger. Home for the Chaladays burger. Papaya was a Rolling Stone burger. And then my very favorite, Sweet Home Avocado burger. Well, the fan blogged in to the producers and said, I love the show, and I have taken it as a personal challenge 
to create a burger recipe to go along with every one of those menu uh, specials. And so they produced a cookbook out of it. And in the introduction, it says that that little chalkboard has come to be like a window into Bob's heart. And he, he puts these burgers, promotions out there with the hope that people will taste and will see and will experience a new sensation with a new burger. And so if you're looking for burger recipes and you're tired of just the old plain cheeseburger, you can pick up a copy of Bob's Best Burgers uh, at your Barnes & Noble. But David is not promoting burgers here. But he is promoting daily, constant, at all times, adoration of the Lord. Do you experience a relationship of intimacy with God? Do you experience it? There's ever the danger, particularly I've noticed with Presbyterians, to move to a head knowledge, but our heart being so distrusted, our heart, the heart knowledge of God, the experiential realm remains unclaimed. Jonathan Edwards said quite famously about honey, using honey as an illustration. He said, there's a difference between having an opinion that God is holy and gracious and having an experience that God is lovely and beautiful of that holiness and grace. There's a difference in having a rational head knowledge that honey is sweet and having a sense of its sweetness. A man may have the former and never have the latter. Your faith is weak and unsustainable if it's simply a knowledge that honey is sweet. But without those occasions and those opportunities to taste and experience and see that the Lord is good. And the way that we get there is everyday worship. By adoring Him at all times. By blessing Him even when I am in the midst of trial and affliction. And you will experience Him drawing very, very near. Notice it says that in verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Have you ever thought about thanking the Lord and blessing Him for the recent brokenness that you're experiencing? Do you realize that when your heart breaks, many times your heart is breaking because you've begun to adore something else. You've begun to bless something else and it's failed you or it's betrayed you or it's inadequate. And once again, because of a failed relationship, a failure to, to, to be recognized or a, a failure to, to have my security needs met or a failure even in health that I so depended upon, I began once again at that point to experience a brokenheartedness that is a, is a, it's the right shape that God fits. It's the right shape of a receptacle or a vessel for God to fill. Notice, if you're brokenhearted right now, the Lord is very near to you. 
He has drawn near to you. Verse 17 says that when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. He delivers them out of their troubles. But how does help come? How does deliverance come? It comes through the path of my crying out. It comes through my, the path of my crying out in the direction of the Lord. Again, tasting and seeing a, an intimacy level there. My tears are given to Him. It says in uh, verse 17 that the Lord cries, when the righteous cry for help, that the Lord hears. And the word there for hears is that it's a, it's a posture of hearing. It's a posture and the word means to be inclined or toward. It's, it's directional. We see this supported elsewhere in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. It means that sometimes my cries are so feeble. Sometimes they're unutterable. I'm just crying. I'm just aching before the Lord. And like a parent, God inclines his posture to get very low that he doesn't miss a one of my tears. He doesn't miss a one of my cries. Things might not have changed, at the end of my prayer, at the end of my worship, at the end of my blessing the Lord. But I can bless Him knowing with confidence that it is that I've been heard. Are you tasting? Are you seeing? Are you experiencing that? Because in a mysterious fashion, the Lord on those occasions speaks. We certainly know that He speaks through His Word. But he also speaks to the brokenhearted by speaking to their heart. The Holy Spirit, the great comforter, coming alongside and assuring in a very mysterious way. I mean, this is mystical language here. This is not just reading and head knowledge, but this is really tasting and chewing and internalizing and experience a feast. A feast of the presence of the Lord. Secondly, uh, David goes on here to say that B is for boasting. Verse 2, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Now, we don't have the benefit of slides this morning, and I'll leave it uh, to you to turn back on your own to 1 Samuel chapter 21. And in 1 Samuel 21, we find the context of what, David is writing this psalm from. It says in 1 Samuel 21 that he was there under Achish, which was the name of the king. Abimelech is a title of king, so there's no contradiction there. But he was there fleeing from his son. He had fled from Jerusalem. He had fled, fled from the city of David. He had fled from his kingdom, from his throne, because of a son who wanted his head. Because of a son, he was now on the run. And he's running. And we know before that he's run from Saul again. And so as he makes his run, he's going to Gath and he finds himself in a place that he's surrounded by enemies. And they begin to sing this song. Oh, you know, Saul, he's slain a thousand. But David, 
10,000. Oh, and you know, David, he is this mighty warrior who slew Goliath. David's life would have been forfeit. Imagine a, a, a new gun come to town or, or imagine someone in our commu- coming into our community that we knew as a mighty warrior, very, very strong. And yet David poses or takes the path of humility and humbles himself as if he is very, very weak, literally insane. It says he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Well, David is now, we're reading the postscript, we're reading a psalm, and we can only imagine that during that occasion he was saying, here I am and you look at me as a defeated warrior, a loser. You look at me as a defeated drooler. You look at me and children laugh at me. Your warriors and your shoulders, they mock me as a has-been. But I make my boast in the Lord. I'm not making my boast in my former reputation. I'm not, he's very humbly boasting in another. He doesn't make him boast in himself. Stand back, I'm a man of significance. He says, no, my boast is in the Lord. Jeremiah 9, verse 23 says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth, For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Bear with me. Bear with me. And let me show you the things that David, even in this psalm, boasts in. Now, there will be other letters of the alphabet, and I'm not going to go into them at any length. But look at, throughout this psalm, at a boasting man. And realize this. This is not a soldier in the army of the Lord who's making a boast of his commander-in-chief with all the laurels and accolades of previous victories on his chest. This is more someone who is very, very, very humbled and invited by the commander-in-chief, invited by the great king, the Lord himself, to join him. And he boast and he says that's mine that's my king in other words this king is not simply including the good and the and the pure and the strong but the glory of this king the boast of this one is that he includes the humble and the brokenhearted the despised and the distressed this song if you keep reading in 1 Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, beginning with verse 1, it says that David left Gath and he went to the caves of Adullam. And there he was joined by his family and all those that were in debt, in distress, and depressed. 
What a crew. What a church. And do you know what he does? He begins to boast to them. And he says, my king is a king that you want. My king will take you. My king favors the humble and those that cry out to him and the brokenhearted and those that face trouble in life and those that face affliction. My king is the one for them. And he would have rallied them with Psalm 34 to join him in singing and making his boast in a psalm that he composed when he was most humbled. But look at his boast. A couple of things here. First of all, and I've mentioned some of these earlier, but he makes a boast in verse 4 and says that God hears and answers the poor in spirit. He says, I sought the Lord. He answered me. He delivered me. Verse 6, the poor man cried, the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. That's a boast that we who are followers of this king, that's a boast that we can boast to our heart when in doubt. We can boast to our friends. And again, this type of boasting and bragging is actually not only acceptable but encouraged because it strengthens your heart. I want you to think about Braveheart when they're on the line getting ready to fight the English. And you've got, you've got William Wallace riding up and down the line. What is he doing? Well, guys, I sure hope we make it home today. He's like, we're the bomb. We're going to conquer them. We're going to kill them. We're stronger. We're fighting for what's right. And that's the boast that my heart needs particularly in a society where Christians are seen as pathetically weak. Far from it. We may appear so at times by our demeanor. We may even appear, appear insane at times. But in my heart, I can make the boast and even share with my friends that I serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Watch out. And He hears me. He hears me every time. The angel of the Lord, this is another boast that he makes. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. This again is a great mystery of death. But the angel of the Lord, repeatedly commentators go out of their way to emphasize that this is no angelic messenger of the Lord. This is Jesus Christ. That before David knew the Lord of Lords, that David recognized that there is an intimate presence of God mysteriously, spiritually, internally present, so close that you can say, He camps with me every night. I go to bed with this guy. I wake up and he's in my tent. This angel of the Lord is with me, and he delivers. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, we know it now through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, is with you in everything that you face? Everything. We can make that boast that we're never separated. Not even my sin separates me from Jesus Christ. Remarkable. The Lord gives good things for a good life. Now this can be a little confusing here if you look at verse 12 
because he says, who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? And then he begins to give us some rules here for purity, for obedience, for a holy life. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit, turn from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. In other words, chase after peace. Don't let it, you know, elude you. Don't let it run away from you. Find opportunities to make peace. Embrace it. What is happening here is he's saying the outflow of my adoring the Lord and the outflow of my boasting is that my life begins to change. I begin to be transformed. A very good Lord who promises me a good life begins to transform me into a better or into a good person. I didn't know it until I really uh, got into a deeper study of Psalm 34 that many believe that Psalm 34, while they don't know that they can go so far as to say that it was the Apostle Peter's favorite psalm, but he does quote from Psalm 34 in 1 Peter more than any other reference. And listen how the context that he uses it. First, uh, chapter 3 of 1 Peter. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For... Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking. And he goes on to recite what I just read a minute ago in Psalm 34. Right, let me try to untangle that. What he's saying is, if your mouth, if your mouth is continually adoring the Lord and boasting in your king, how are you going to talk to other people? I had a mentor of mine, Jack Miller, who uh, one of his favorite exercises for his disciples was called the tongue test. And he said, Phil, go for one week without criticizing or discouraging anyone. And definitely go for one week without cursing with your mouth anyone or insulting them or gossiping about them. Well, two rivers, you'll be very proud of your pastor, I think. I went a whole week and didn't do that. Well, Jack Miller, my mentor, who was kind of a gnome type of man, said that I cheated. He said, let me guess, you didn't talk to anybody, did you? And I said, no, I didn't. I didn't. He says, well, you're, you're a good Pharisee. And he said, this week, let me tell you the second part of the tongue test. We are commanded to not only speak evil of one another and not to curse one another and to not insult one another and not to be sarcastic of one another, to not gossip after one another. We're, we're commanded all those knots, one another's, 
But we're commanded, as Peter sees, to use our mouth correctly to bless one another and to boast in one another and to encourage one another. James, the very brother of Jesus, said, how can it be, and he's speaking to the church, how could it be if he were here today? How can it be, two rivers? You, with your mouth, you talk to the Lord. You lay out your cry. You lay out your trials. You lay out your troubles. You lay out your praises. You lay out your blessings to the Lord. And then you go among your brethren and salt water comes out of what we thought was a spring. If salt water comes out of a spring in the low country, that's contaminated, polluted, and won't do. And he said, how can out of the same mouth that blesses the Lord curse one another? And Peter says, it can't. That the very practice of adoring our Lord and boasting in our Lord that He hears and will deliver, he said, that will transform you. It's a means of God's grace. It begins to change you. It changes your speech. As you're blessing and adoring the Lord and His love for this poor, miserable sinner, then I'm humbled by His love that He allows me to join His entourage as, as a king and to follow Him. I'm humbled. There's no superiority that I bring into a relationship. There's no condemnation, for I am not condemned. Well, I've got to move on. And the final C is for our community. In verse 3, O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. I, uh, I'm going to end with this. But notice that He's not worshiping alone. First of all, this is a song. We believe that He took it back to that cave and His people came around Him this was a song that he would teach them. It's contained in the great songbook and prayer book of the Psalms. So it's for us. It's in perpetuity. But he says it's made to be sung as a church, as a body, as a community, as a congregation. And therefore, we multiply and we magnify God's praise. There's some this morning that as you're singing the worship songs, you're really hurting, but you're singing them. And you're saying, I know that my deliverer lives, but I'm not experiencing a relief from my trial yet. But I continue to make my boast that he is my king and I will wait on his good pleasure. And there are others that you're just singing louder perhaps than the rest of us because life right now is really good, as it often will be. And in community, God says, I am knitting both the brokenhearted among you with the wholehearted among you, and you magnify me even as you minister to one another. I receive that great collection of songs. Some of you right now are very weak, and some of you are very strong. And we come together in community, and as we begin to worship and adore, God is magnified in this place. If you look at verse 17, look at the, the, the pronouns. 
When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. So imagine a church where it's not just a righteous man or woman. Righteous meaning not pure and completely holy, but righteous meaning one that hath found a righteous Savior. And we're looking to Him and His righteousness. We're looking to Him with a singular eye of confidence and faith. And we're seeking to walk with Him, even Jesus. But it doesn't mean that we've got it all together. But He says here, them, us, so that when we cry for help, and maybe I'm crying for help and interceding for one another, um, that He delivers them out of all their troubles. Then verse 16 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. The word there meaning one that is breathless. So exhausted as if he's the, the, the breath, he just can't draw a breath. It's like it's crushed out of his spirit. The air is taken out of him. Are you exhausted from doing life? Maybe you've been doing life alone. Ask yourself. One of the most neglected means of grace is this. Not simply worship, but community and fellowship. And we've domesticated it. We've made it into just, just mutual friendships or acquaintances. But this is a fellowship that is tried by fire where our members of our community are going through trials and afflictions. Even we. And we're together. We're adoring and we're boasting, but we're in community together. God says, that's what delivers the exhausted. Those that are exhausted, particularly from just trying to go it alone. And then verse 20 says, He keeps all of His bones and not one of them is broken. And that's in reflection of verse 19 that says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers Him out of them all. We believe that it's shifted and that the Lord is with us in community and the Lord has particularly placed the brokenhearted and the exhausted in this community and He will deliver us even as He exampled the deliverance of Him. Who is the Him? It's Jesus Christ. Verse 20 points not only back to the Passover lamb, that one of the restrictions was is that none of the bones should have been broken. The meat should have been devoured, but no bones broken. And then we move forward to the Gospels and we find that Jesus Christ, when they came to take the men down, they were going to give them a final death blow. They would often break their legs so that they would then collapse and they would completely smother um, when they came to break the legs of Jesus, they saw that he had already died. So they didn't break his legs, as was the common practice. And one said, you know, Psalm 34. Psalm 34. That puts the suffering of Jesus in a new light. He wasn't abandoned by God. As we look in Jesus Christ, we see the most righteous man suffering that ever lived. Suffering will befall us just as it did our Master. But our God 
will deliver us. Not one broken, not one bone will be broken lest it meet His decree and His plan. And that plan is, as always, even in the suffering of Jesus Christ, a glorious plan to deliver us and to be with us and to be with us ever in intimacy now and forever. Do you have a practice in your life where you carve out times to adore Him? What does your heart boast in? What does your heart boast in? What are you most proud of? What do you most love? What gives you strength? What gives you significance? And then lastly, do you value community and fellowship like David does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would set aside this bread and cup to minister to our soul's want for you. And that you would feed us until we want no more. And that what you're feeding us with is Jesus Christ and His death on our behalf. And that that would strengthen us. That would strengthen us. We come to this table And we're going to taste and see that you're good. We're going to come and we're going to taste and see that you're our Savior. You're our Deliverer. You're mine. And that is our adoration for you. Even as we see your beauty. And we will leave, Father, boasting both to ourselves and others that you are our Lord and our King our Savior, our Deliverer, now and forever. And we will live in community with one another, encouraging, strengthening, blessing, even as we would see your blessing and your honor multiplied. So use these things, we pray this morning in Christ's name. Amen.